welcome back to Let's Talk Veterans. Um, here I am by myself tonight. Um, Holly may uh, come and join me a little bit later. Uh, she may or may not. I don't know yet. But I'm going to be here tonight uh, by myself um, for the time being. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight uh, is probably um, military skills that can transfer over into the civilian um, side of, of life. So um, for those that don't know, I spent six years active duty in the Army as a medic, and I was uh, initially supposed to go in or wanted to go in as a uh, animal uh, vet tech, basically, a veteran, a veter uh, veterinarian technician. And uh, when I got down there, they didn't have that available. And so they said, well, we have a medical health care specialist available. And I was like, oh, okay, what's that do? And they're like, oh, you'll work in a hospital. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went off and joined and became a medical health care specialist. At that time, it was a 91 Bravo. And I get to basic training. And drill sergeant was coming around asking everybody uh, what their MOS is. And I was like, 91 Bravo, medical healthcare specialist. He goes, oh, you're a combat medic. And I was like, no drill sergeant, I'm a medical healthcare specialist. And uh, he said, you're a combat medic. And I was like, okay, I'm a combat medic. And uh, from that moment on, my whole uh, life kind of uh, changed a little bit. My outlook on um, my military career kind of changed a little bit because I wasn't sure... Um, what what I was going to be getting myself into at that time. And so it was kind of, it's funny now looking back on it, but back then I was like, oh man, what did I, what did I get into? What did I do? But, um, but anyway, so uh, I spent, like I said, I spent six years active duty and all those six years was, uh, was me as a medic. Uh, I spent uh, two years over in Germany, uh, 136 Infantry. Uh, I was an HAC medic. I was a Delta Company medic, um, and then I went to uh, um, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, I was in three seven infantry, uh, where I was the uh, HHC medic and was a platoon sergeant driver and um, aid station medic and and things like that. And then I went to Fort Benning. Uh, to actually go to Medac, to the hospital there, Martin Army. And that was my first hospital unit. So I was at two infantry units prior to going to a hospital unit. And when I got to the hospital unit, I was, uh, I was not in a, a happy place. Uh, I wanted to deploy. Um, all my friends were deploying. Uh, everybody that I left at Fort Stewart was deploying and things like that. And so I volunteered to go to Iraq. I volunteered to go overseas. Uh, mind you, I'd already been on two deployments uh, before I got to the hospital unit at Fort Benning. I had already been on two deployments, one for six months, one for seven months. And uh, uh, the hospital said, nope, you're too valuable where you're at. And so I stayed there at the hospital unit and ended up uh, getting out of the Army after six years and then I went into the Air Force Reserves after about four months of being out of active duty 
uh, Holly came to me and she's like, uh, uh, you've got to do something. You've got to go back into the military. You, you've got to do something. You're driving me crazy. Um, I was going through a state of depression. I was going through a state of uh, not knowing what I was going to do uh, with my life. Uh, I was working as a plumber's helper. Um, not that that was bad because I did that for two and a half years after I got out of active duty. And I enjoyed being a plumber's helper. I learned a lot because of that. But um, so Holly was like, hey, you've got to go back in. You've got to do something. You're driving me crazy. And so four, four and a half months after I got out of active duty, I joined the Air Force Reserves and became uh, security forces, which is Air Force cops, police. And so I did that for um, from January of 05 till November of 06. So just shy of two years, I did the Air Force Reserves. And I left the Air Force Reserves because I was having a drill and uh, I was in 908th Security Forces Squadron. And that was in Montgomery, Alabama. I was driving three hours, a little over three hours, uh, one way to get to drill uh, on the weekends that I drilled. And there was an Army National Guard um, unit right there in Albany where I was living at. And so I was like, man, I'd be an idiot not to, not to go into the National Guard. Uh, maybe I can get promoted a little bit quicker and things like that. And so what I did was I asked for a release from the Air Force Reserves. And I left the reserves and went to Armory National Guard. And I can honestly say that that was probably uh, the worst decision I made in my military career. Um, I met some really, really good people. And I met some really, really good people that took care of soldiers and took care of their people. Uh, but it was not an experience um, that I enjoyed uh, being in the Army National Guard. I ended up spending um, another couple years in the National Guard. So I have a total of 12 years of, of military time uh, before I finally uh, was able to get out of the military um, and... Uh, so I, I, like I said, I got a total of 12 years in. So during that time, I was a medic. I was uh, security forces police. I was uh, back as a medic. And then um, at one point, I was a mechanic, but I never went to school to be a mechanic. It was just because my MOS, my old MOS of uh, 91 Bravo was um, uh, is now a mechanic. And so the National Guard was like, oh, you're a mechanic now. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not. And they're like, yeah, well, you already held the MOS. And I'm like, that's an old MOS from when it was a medic. And it was a big argument about that. Um, but anyway, so I've held a couple of jobs as um, in the military. It's different things. I did do supply stuff. I did do uh, things like that in Germany when I was stationed in Germany and a few times uh, when I did uh, supply stuff um, yeah, at Fort Stewart. Uh, and so as m my time ended, right, so during this time I was still working as a plumber. I did plumbing for, for about two and a half years when I first got out of the military active duty. And so when I talk about military skills, as far as that goes, 
Um, I didn't really put my military skills uh, as far as the medic side of the house uh, into use uh, until several, several, several years later after I got out. Uh, but what I can say is that the military, because I was active duty for six years, and for six years of my life, I was told uh, what time to be, where, and where to be uh, at every single day of my life, except for Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Monday through Friday belonged to the military, uh, and I knew at 6.30 on Monday morning, I was going to be in PT formation, uh, ready to do PT. We PT'd for hour, hour and a half, and then we'd go back to our room and shower and be back at 9 o'clock formation or be back at the aid station um, at 9 o'clock uh, to start the day and things like that. And so uh, taking that and giving that to the civilian side of the house uh, made me um, a very prompt person I've, I've learned over time that if you're if you're on time you're already 10 minutes late um, and I, I'll take that uh, one step further and sometimes say that if you're 10 minutes early you're already 10 minutes late uh, I got real um, used to uh, being somewhere at uh, or having to be somewhere at 430 to to draw weapons or being somewhere at 4.30 to be in formation uh, because someone was going to come talk to us and had a big speech to give us, but that person wasn't coming until 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and it was 4.30 in the morning, and we had to be uh, already in formation. And so there's a lot of things that the military teaches you as far as the punctuality and being on time and being uh, professional in that aspect of uh, even though we have you here at 4.30 in the morning and the person that you're supposed to see is not going to be here for another two hours or so. Um, you, you learn to adapt and, and overcome uh, certain um, difficulties, if you will. And so that's one thing that I can take from the military and, and apply to the civilian side of the house is, is uh, punctuality. I, I don't like to be on time for things. Uh, I want to be there at least 15 minutes before I'm supposed to be there. If something is supposed to happen at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm usually um, there by 6.30, and that's me. But, you know, uh, just like work now, uh, I'm, I work um, I'm in, uh, with the federal government now, and I don't technically have to be at work till 7.30, uh, but I'm usually in my office with my cup of coffee at 6.30. And that's just because I want to be there in my office, checking my email, being by my phone, checking my schedule, making sure that there's nothing that changed overnight. There's nothing that changed or nothing that comes up that I don't, I don't want to feel rushed having to do. Uh, we get put on the schedule sometimes if people get sick and they have to call out or things like that. And we get put on the schedule. I like to have uh, a little bit of knowledge of looking at the schedule, seeing what's on the schedule, and then going ahead and prepping as if I was going to work uh, the schedule in case someone calls out. 
that way I know that I'm prepared to go uh, do that uh, lab or, or whatever it is. And so that's just one thing that for me, not everybody, but for me, uh, I like to be early. Now, if it's me and my family, yeah, we're probably not going to show up an hour early to something. If something starts at, you know, 8 o'clock, we're not going to show up at 7. We'll we'll be there between 7.30 and 7.45 because I like to be early enough to where um, traffic and things like that. And so when we go to church, same thing. If, if church starts at 10, I try to be there between uh, 9.40 and 9.50. Uh, just so that I can cover the, uh, the the traffic or if something happens or if I get stopped at a light longer, if a train comes or something like that. I try to get there early enough to where um, we can get inside and get seats, especially at church, get inside, get seats and things like that so that uh, I don't feel rushed uh, going into church or going into a restaurant or going into a venue or a concert or anything like that. And so <clears throat> that's one thing that I can say that the military has definitely helped uh, me with as far as the time goes. Uh, now, that changes for everybody. Uh, not everybody carries <laughs> carries that with them after the military. Um, there is a lot of folks that will um, uh, stop being on time for things uh, after the military because they were so structured and told what to do and where to do it and all this, so what time to be there and stuff like that. So uh, now there's guys that will uh, purposely show up right at, you know, on time instead of being early. And um, I don't know. I don't know how they deal with that. That's <laughs> that's hard for me to grasp. Um, and so, but that's just me. Um, and so time was time was a thing that uh, definitely I carried over. Uh, some of the other things that that carried over with me was probably respect for leadership, uh, supervisors, things like that. When I got out of active duty, I went to the I started plumbing. I did plumbing for two and a half years, and during that two and a half years is when I uh, became uh, Air Force Security Forces, uh, which is like I said was the police. And so after that two years. Um, of of uh, plumbing, I actually got picked up uh, for my first police job uh, at the Marine Base, uh, the Marine Corps Logistics Base, and so I became a basically a civilian a civilian um, police officer uh, for the Marine Corps, uh, and so when I was already security forces, and now I'm I'm a civilian police officer for the Marine Corps. So that kind of directly carried over, uh, especially because of the fact that, you know, the Air Force security forces they're they're the base police, uh, so they deal with base, they deal with the gates, they deal with, um, you know, the housing and all that stuff. So that directly carried over with me when I became a uh, civilian police officer for the Marine Corps. Uh, uh, police department that I was with and and it directly carried over because it was the same thing you work in gates uh, you, you you know you work in uh, regular calls you know uh, shoplifting at the exchange or or whatever it is or running a stop sign or talking on a cell phone while driving on a federal installation uh, the and then going to domestics in housing and things so it directly um, went into that that side uh, of, of civilian uh, life, if you will, 
the skills that I learned from the Air Force Security Forces School uh, directly went side by side with law enforcement. Um, now there was a, a few guys that didn't have any that were you know infantry guys in the in the uh, military uh, and decided to go police. And so some of those jobs, you know, some of those skill sets, if you will, carried over weapons handling, uh, squad tactics, um, uh, maneuvers, uh, SWAT style training, close combat quarters, um, um, CCQB, uh, things like that. Those kind of directly carry over into the police side if, if that's what you decide that you want to do um, or are doing. And so it, it, it can carry over certain things. Uh, when I was in active duty, I did go to college. I took two college courses, um, and they were both in uh, criminal justice. And so I, I kind of knew that I wanted to be uh, in law enforcement from an early early on uh, and early age. My, uh, my dad was a security forces uh, police uh, and my grandfather was the uh, chief of police in America's Georgia, and so um, the the cop uh, blood runs runs deep in my family, and so it was something that I always, in the back of my mind, always knew that that's probably what I was going to end up doing at some point, and so <clears throat> when I carried it over into uh, the military and into the civilian life. Um, I, I just, it was a job that I absolutely loved doing and I did, uh, I was a police officer for, uh, almost 10 years and, uh, was, uh, uh did police. I was a patrolman. I was, uh, I sat at the desk as a desk sergeant, uh, was acting watch commander a few times. I was, uh. Uh, FTO, uh, FTO'd some people on the desk. I FTO'd people, new officers on the road. I uh, moved over to the kennels and did canine for about eight and a half years or so as a handler. And I FTO'd handlers, new handlers over there in the kennels. And then I went and became a um, trainer, a canine trainer. And then that's when I moved out to uh, Corpus Christi Naval Air Station to be the lieutenant uh, lead canine trainer out there and I did that for about a year before moving back to Georgia and uh, being where I'm at now uh, for the federal government um, as a law enforcement instructor uh, and so I'm still in the law enforcement capacity I'm uh, just now in a an instructor capacity and so the skill sets that I've learned through the military and, and during that time in the Air Force Reserves, they found out that I was a medic, so they made me uh, the uh, self-aid buddy care uh, instructor and things like that. So I, I've been um, up on my self-aid buddy care, and uh, when I was active duty, I was a combat lifesaver instructor, a CPR instructor, I was a medic, and all these other things. And so all these different things have, have kind of helped guide and, and, and shape and, and mold me into the uh, person um, and the, the man and the husband and the, and the father that I am today. And one quick story about my medical uh, background. So when I was active duty, I went on two deployments and um, they were not combat deployments. Um, but in some 
regard they they probably could have been um we had a guy um come in with uh grenade shrapnel uh to the head to the to the upper body the the, the chest area the arms um his his face and things like that and so we had to deal with him treat him take him to the back room treat him and all that stuff and um I was a CPR instructor, like I said, and we were doing a training exercise uh, when we were deployed, and I can't remember which time it was that I, that it that I was at, but I was the victim. I was supposed to be the victim, and and it was it's kind of funny now looking back, but it was kind of like one of those what in the world moments when it was happening. But I the, the guy, I think it was an E6 or E7, he was telling me he's like, look, uh, you're the victim. I just want to lay you there unconscious. Don't respond to anything they do. Uh, don't respond to anything they're they're telling you. Um, uh, you know, try to lay there motionless. Obviously, you're going to be breathing, but try to make it you know subtle so they can't really see it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll just lay here. And so I laid there on the back porch of this of the aid station, well, where we were at. And uh, he had somebody go run inside. Hey, there's someone passed out on the back porch. Blah blah blah. So uh, there's probably about two or three people. Uh, soldiers that come running out the back door and and um this this one i want to say it was a e, uh, e3 uh, pfc and he comes and he taps me on the shoulder and i'm not moving i'm not saying anything i'm not i'm not wincing i'm not doing anything and all of a sudden i feel him get really really close to me and he he puts his hand on my forehead and puts his um two fingers underneath my chin and does a a a jam up um head tilt chin lift i mean just jam up head tilt chin lift and everything did it right and everything and then all of a sudden um yeah homeboy put mouth to mouth on me and i was like oh i was pushed him off he goes all right he's he's breathing I'm like bro i've been breathing i was like you missed a step in there man look listen and feel and I was, and I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and he was freaking out, and it was, it was. I was so upset with him, and I was like, "Bro, what in the world? Look, listen, and feel. How do you not see that I'm already breathing?" And the uh, evaluator uh, was just laughing hysterically, and I was like, "What in the world is going on?" And uh, but that was, that was, that was a funny, a funny thing that happened. And I was, I was, I remember, I was just so mad about about what he did, because uh, he, because he just went right into the the mouth on mouth, and I was like, "What are you doing, bro?" But anyway, um, so I, I say all that to say this: um, Lily, um, my youngest daughter, uh, we had just brought her home from the hospital. She was six days old, and I was sitting in the chair, uh, holding her, watching TV, and and she was sleeping, and. I um I told our Holly came into the living room and and we kind of swapped positions and um Holly was sitting there holding her and I'm I'd gone to the kitchen to get something to drink or something and and I was in the kitchen and I hear Holly just scream just a blood curling scream and I come running into the living room and I was like what is going on and I look down and I tell you, I I can't tell you, I can't remember the all the details of 
you know, what I was wearing, uh, what what Holly was wearing, what Lily was wearing. Um, I can't really tell you how the, the living room was set up, but I'm, I'm sure Holly can because she has a really good memory about that. But when I looked down, I saw Lily, and she was blue. She was uh, blue, almost purple. And that obviously is a sign of, of no oxygen and not breathing. And, you know, I, I, I talk about human performance. I talk about the, the, the subconscious and the conscious mind when I'm at work because uh, that's what I do. I teach, I teach those things. Uh, to officers and, and, and how they process information, how they process, uh, you know, critical incidents and, and, and how to be critical decision makers and things like that. So I talk to my students about those things and I, and, and I talk about the subconscious and about how we build files in our brain. Um, in training, we build files uh, so that when when the real thing happens, our brain just goes to the file that it recognizes and says, hey, we, we've seen this. We recognize this pattern. We recognize um, this. So therefore, we have um, this file to pull from. We can pull from this file and, and or we can pull from this file. And I tell you, um, from the moment that I looked down at Lily and saw that she was blue in her face, I don't remember much, but I do remember snatching her out of Holly's hands, and I do remember starting to do infant CPR, and I started just going into it. I mean, without even having to seriously have a conscious thought of what do I need to do now? My my brain, my subconscious had just automatically gone into, hey, I recognize a pattern of someone's not breathing. Um, it's an infant non-breathing, and therefore it just went into infant CPR. And so I tell you, when I, I talk to my students about this, and I tell them this story, and I get kind of choked up about it because it is something that's very personal to me. And, it's, and, I, and every time I talk about it, I see that day, and I see... The, the the blueness that was over her face and over her body and it just it terrifies me um because i always i always told myself that god's got a plan higher than mine and you know i didn't want to be a medic i didn't i didn't want to be a medic i wanted to i wanted to work on animals right I wanted to work on animals. I didn't want to be a medic. But when they told me that job was full and this is what you're going to do, um, I just said, okay. You know, I became a CPR instructor. I became a, a combat lifesaver instructor. I became a medic. I, I've treated, um, you know, people before. I, I, I've, I've sat through people, um, you know, hacking up a lung and um, just – contusions and, and bruises and cuts and scrapes and broken bones and and things like that and and you know grenade shrapnel and I've I've done all that and I've never had to do CPR in my whole military career I've never had to do CPR 
but I've always trained for it. I've always trained on adults, and I've always trained for infants. Um, when you're a CPR instructor, that's what you have to do. You have to train on both adults, child. Well, you actually have to train on adults, child, and infant uh, to be the CPR instructor. And so that's what we did. That's what I, I did. I, I trained to be that. But I never had to do it in real life um, until it was my own kid. And looking back, it just it terrifies me to think that you know, what if I what if I wouldn't have become a medic at that time? What if what if I would have said no? I don't want to do that. I want to be admin. Or not saying that admin's bad, but you know, I wanted to do something else. You know, would that have still led me down a path to be able to to save my daughter in in that moment? You know, and so I remember grabbing her, starting to do CPR. I lived uh, probably about, I think it was about two, two and a half miles um, from a fire station that had an ambulance with it. And I told Holly, I said, call 911. Tell them to get her now. She's not breathing. And I remember Holly saying, okay, they're on their way. And I looked out the front door. We had a full glass front door, like a, we had a, we had a, a regular front door and then we had the glass front door where you could open the the inside door and i remember looking out that door with still doing cpr on lily and and thinking to myself they're not they're not going to get here quick enough they're not going to get here quick there she's going to die right here and i took off out my front door and i ran down my driveway and i ran down the road i ran and I was still doing CPR on Lily. And I ran down the road and met the ambulance on the way. And I remember them pulling over the side of the road and me telling them, she's not breathing. She's blue. I've already started CPR. And I just handed her over to them. And I just collapsed in the ditch. I didn't pass out, but I just collapsed in the ditch. And I just sat there looking into the back of the ambulance thinking, you know, man, I, I hope, I hope she's okay. And it scared me. It scared me so bad. And Holly come running down the street and found me sitting down. She come and, and grabbed a hold of me and they come out the back of the ambulance and Lily's crying and Holly grabs her and I'm standing there and they said, uh, they said, if you did infant CPR or whatever it is that you did, you, you saved your daughter's life. And I just, I, I just remember a flood of emotions coming over my face thinking, man, I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> um, at that time, I, I just like, I don't, re at that time, I did not remember anything of what I did. Looking back, it's been time, obviously. It's been close to 10 years now. But now, my memory is, is you know, a little bit clearer on that day. But then, I couldn't tell you what I did. Um, but that skill set that I learned in the military through being a medic and then through being a combat lifesaver instructor, being a CPR instructor, being 
uh, self-aid buddy care instructor and things like that, that, those skills directly helped me in my civilian life in that moment because it so it helped me save my daughter. And it was, it was, um, very eye-opening, um, to me because I was like, man, um, you know, that, that was, that was wild. And so, you know, there's things in the military that we do that while we're in the military, it seems, uh, pointless. It seems, um, like we would never use something like that. And it's crazy to think sometimes that, you know, and we tell, I tell the students all the time now, you have to take training seriously because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. And if we program our subconscious mind um, wrong, then when the real thing happens, then our subconscious mind is never going to be able to pull a file saying this is what we're supposed to do because it was trained wrong. And so um, in the military, we learn a bunch of different skills, um, a bunch of different skills that can directly transfer over to civilian life. Um, but if we don't train properly, um, then our, our when the time comes for that training to kick in, um, if we haven't trained properly, then that training is not going to kick in. It, it, that, that, that file, it's going to, your brain's going to be like, Hey, file not found. Um, and so it was very, uh, very opening to me. Um, when I, when I did that and had that situation. And so from that moment on, I was like, well, I'm taking every training seriously. I've got to, um, because I may not use it on the job, but there's a good possibility that I may have to use it on my own family or even on myself. And so, um, it's one thing that kind of really stuck with me, but anyway, um, so that was, that was some of the skills that, that kind of transferred over. Uh, like I said, I'm an instructor now, uh, for police, for law enforcement, for, for, um, federal law enforcement agencies and things like that. And I enjoy, I love every bit of what I do now. Um, and I can, I can honestly say that my military career or my military, um, side has definitely helped me, um, with my job, with my civilian career, and has definitely helped me in the day-to-day, um, operations that I do, um, you know, getting up early in the morning and, and, and things like that and, and staying on a schedule and staying on a, a regime, if you will. Um, now obviously I don't run, I don't, I don't do any of those things anymore. I need to get back running, but, uh, time will, time will come with that. Um, but yeah, so, um, that's just, I don't know. Tonight was just me, uh, just talking about, you know, uh, military to civilian, uh, transferring of skills and, and things like that. And everybody's going to be different. I mean, if you're a mechanic, then obviously those certifications will probably transfer over or some aspect of that. Um, and, and so everybody's got their own little story that, that, the military helped them transfer over to civilian life uh, a certain way. 
And so uh, I think there is a uh, benefit to being in the military uh, first um, and and going, you know, doing your doing uh, your three to four years or six years in the military and then getting out and, and joining the civilian side. Uh, but I think there's also a benefit of uh, going college first and then going military. Uh, I think there's benefits to both. Uh, I know guys that have joined the military and never went to college, and I know people that went to the uh, military and then got out and then went to college, and I'm one of those guys. I, I didn't go to college till way after I got out of the military, uh, and I have two degrees now, uh, but degrees don't really mean anything, uh, <laughs> not not too much anyway, but I wanted to, to have a degree, um, and I didn't even get a degree in what my civilian profession is. Uh, my degree is actually in uh, youth ministry. Um, I help with the youth. I've been a youth pastor for, for over 10 years. I'm not currently a youth pastor, but I was a youth pastor for over 10 years at different churches and things. And I enjoy that. I enjoy working with youth um, and, and things like that. Uh, but I think the military does kind of help you um, mold you and shape you into into what you uh, are, who you are after the military uh, but it's how we program our subconscious and how we program uh, our, our mind in that aspect on and how we become who we are and so um, yeah that's about it so guys if um, once again I'll say this on on every episode that we do is if you're feeling any um, thoughts of suicide or anything like that, please reach out. Um, you can, you can hit me up. My email is gur, G-U-R-R dot Chris, C-H-R-I-S at yahoo.com. Uh, hit me up on email. You can, if you have my number, call me. Um, I'll be happy to talk to you. I'll be happy to just listen to you. If, if you just want to do all the talking, uh, don't fight this alone. Uh, Trust me when I say this. Don't fight this alone. Uh, it, there's too many of us uh, taking taking our own lives um, when when there's brothers and sisters out there that will gladly uh, just sit and listen. That will gladly just um, talk to you about anything uh, or about nothing. Uh, so please, please, please don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary uh, problem. Uh, please reach out to somebody. Um, thank you guys again uh, for the for this podcast, and I, I appreciate all, all those that listen. Uh, if you do me a favor, just um, subscribe, like it, share it, tell your friends. Um, if I can help one person through a time through a through a struggle, then then this this podcast has done its job. Uh, thank you for all this listening. Y'all have a good night. Bye.